This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What it do? Hardwood Knox listeners, I am Dan Favalli, coming at you to finish off our Central Division preview ahead of the 2019-2020 NBA regular season. I will once again be joined by Lazarus Jackson. He hosts a podcast at Blue Wire, Pistons versus Everybody, will be launching very soon. Be sure to check it out. He's also an editor and podcast host for SB Nation's Detroit Bad Boys site. Be sure to check out his work there as well and definitely make sure you're following him on twitter at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e fantastic follow highly recommend clicking that follow button on twitter for him follow andy on twitter at andrew d bailey spelled exactly as it sounds i am at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e the show is at hardwood Knox. as ever i please encourage you beg plead with you just like i do every episode rate review Subscribe to us on iTunes if you have not done so already. We can be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast, but iTunes lets us know that people are listening. We love seeing those five-star ratings go up. So throw us five stars. Write any feedback you have in the comment section. We, we read them all the time and take them into account. If there's anything you want to see, suggestions for guests, topics, questions that you have for Andy and I, I we are constantly monitoring them, so feel free to throw those in there as well. You can also get us out on Twitter if you do have any pressing questions. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, please follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. I am firing off tweets there daily, and you'll also have the ability to check out some of our other podcasts where we're really cornering the market in college football, NFL, and NBA content. With all the housekeeping notes now out of the way, we get to part two of our Central Division preview with Lazarus Jackson. We now move on to the Detroit Pistons. They were 41 and 41 last season. Um, their notable additions this offseason included Christian Wood, if he's even going to make the opening night roster. doesn't sound like it. Joe Johnson, no. <laughs> Derek Rose, Markeith Morris, Sekou Dumboya, Tim Frazier, and Tony Snell. Again, these are not all their additions. I'm just naming the semi-notable ones. Some notable exits include Glenn Robinson III, insofar as he's notable, Ish Smith, John Lohr, Jose Calderon, Wayne Ellington, and the one and only Zaza Pachulia. All right, I'm assuming you have a ton of thoughts on these teams, so hit me with some of your fast four. Okay, so the the first thing that is just like blatantly obvious for the Pistons is that they have to trade one of their shooting guards. Uh, they have four of them. Bruce Brown, uh, Luke Kennard, Kyrie Thomas, and Langston Galloway. Um, they have, that's at least one too many, and they have a huge hole at backup big man. Uh, and so the parlor game that every person on detroit bad boys has been playing for the last three months is like which backup center can we trade langston galloway for <laughs> give or take 
<laughs> and so like yes a a trade like that though like does need to occur before the season starts i i don't know what are you what i'm trying to think of what backup center you actually could train like in galloway for and i'm firing so, blanks here so the Aaron Baines is the guy people want. Aaron Baines is like much a much better value than Langston Galloway. So you'd have to like add something to that trade in order to get Baines. And I don't think people people actually want to do that. Um, a guy I've been looking at is a guy that uh, we could have talked about earlier, but probably shouldn't have. Uh, John Henson. Uh, that's a guy who makes, I think, slightly more than Langston. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that would push the Pistons into the luxury tax unless you did some other uh, cost-saving moves. But that's a guy who I think is like not necessarily so heavily desired by his current team that you couldn't that the uh, <laughs> that the uh, shooting threat that Langston Galloway is like it would be worth like prying him away from his current team. I wonder if Mo Bamba breaks out if the Magic would consider trading Kem Birch. To oh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, which yes, I, so would I. Which I think is probably the the problem. <laughs> <laughs> But if you include like a second round pick or something in there, they recoup some of their second round picks. So that and Langs Galloway for Kem Birch, who signed a reasonable three year deal over the off season, that that might be something to, to sort Done. of look at. Stamp it in, absolutely sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming Orlando would be a hard no then, based on how enthusiastic we are for that idea. What else I mean, you got? Maybe, maybe who knows? Uh, well, so, if, again, if Mobam was good and you already have Vucevic making all star money at this point, why not? Yeah. That's a big if, though. He was pretty bad last year. That's awesome. uh, the next thing I got is uh, the the way the front office and coaching staff have been talking about uh, what Joe Johnson brings to the team is just like really worrying <laughs> me. <laughs> you don't view it as more of an indictment on Christian Wood? No, actually. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. So uh Dwayne Casey played Jose Calderon 600 plus minutes last year despite the fact that like after 200 minutes it was like really clear that Jose Calderon was just like not an NBA player anymore and so like I am worried we are headed for another redux of that where uh instead of playing a guy like a Bruce Brown or finding more minutes for Kyrie Thomas uh Dwayne Casey just like goes with the steadier quote-unquote steadier vet who actually like can't play and like maybe maybe joe johnson can play man like this is the stuff i got delude myself for this season but like uh but yeah like they're they're legitimately talking about him as a 10 to 15 minute minute a night guy um there there was like slight uh talk of him like maybe helping them close games as a shot creator and i was like you like you really gotta show me that before I'm like in on that plan because I, I yes I watched the big three MVP performance but like that was against guys in the big three like show me some stuff against some guys who have been in the NBA please right and that just I, him closing games as a shot creator just doesn't make any sense I, I don't I don't disagree I, so that's bizarre <laughs> and it kind of that point steps on the toes of one of my, I guess it's just an opinion with this team. I hated the Derrick Rose signing. I don't like two years and 15 million, I guess is whatever. I think his season last year was incredibly overblown looking at his effectiveness. He basically shot in the single digits from three, the three point line for more than half the season. Um, a lot of his numbers were 
just really buttressed by that strong November that he had or the strong opening month and a half or, or whatever it was. And so if you're going to bring him in, it kind of, one, we finally have a healthy Reggie Jackson. They're not, I'm assuming they're not going to play together, but that's just, I, I don't know if Derrick Rose is the best backup to Reggie Jackson. And then more so I'm looking at, since you were just talking about Joe Johnson closing games as a playmaker, I'd rather you, one, not take away any more touches from Blake Griffin after what he did last year. No, he was probably overworked. No, he probably won't play in uh, 75 games again this season. I just don't I don't want anyone else on the floor that's not going to at least uh, be able to shoot around him when he does have the ball. And then I want to see more Luke Kennard on the ball a little bit too, and I think signing Derrick Rose minimizes that opportunity for him. Okay, so you said you said a lot of stuff. So we're, I'm going to try and go through that uh, as as best as I can. So the Derrick Rose signing, I was not. It was not. It was not my. Uh, that wouldn't have been my first choice either. But uh, I see the rationale behind it. Um, when you look at who the Pistons had at backup point guard last year in Ish Smith, um, they were still able to find success with a point guard who could not shoot threes. And Derrick Rose can uh, actually like create his own shots in the half court like much better than ish smith can so he will be an improvement over ish smith like in that manner and probably defensively ish was quietly like really bad uh defensively last year uh ball handling uh, ball handling at the end of games um <laughs> like yes i don't think joe johnson is an option in that area um or at least knows, I hope maybe he is apparently yeah yeah but uh but they having your primary end of game guy not be a guard or a wing like Blake Blake is a power wing but like when he's out there he's not playing small forward right he's playing four and so like that created a lot of very congested end of game situations uh for the Pistons there's a game and the the oh man the first home game against Toronto I think uh whichever one went to overtime there's a I have like the screen cap like burned into my memory of like Blake is backing down Danny Green at the free throw line uh, to like at an end and in an end of game scenario. And there are 10 guys standing like on, if you're looking at the court, like North South from the half court, like to the basket, there are 10 guys standing underneath the free throw line. It's just like spacing is like absolutely atrocious. And so it was like, yeah, like yes, Blake can like create a shot out of that. But like you, you it helps to be able to uh, have a guy who can attack like with his dribble instead of like, with uh, out of the post like Blake is more comfortable doing um will Derrick Rose and Reggie Jackson play together play together absolutely Dwayne Casey has already said that's going to be a thing he played uh Reggie Jackson and Smith together last year he played Ish Smith and Jose Calderon together last year Dwayne Casey likes his two point guard lineups um that's going to be a thing that happens are they going to close games like that I don't know I need to see that a little bit we'll we'll, we'll check that out should Luke Kennard get more touches probably will those touches come at the expense of Derrick Rose Probably not. They will probably come at the expense of whichever small forward uh, they decide to go with it at a, as the off-the-bench guy. Maybe that's Joe Johnson. Uh, maybe that's Vima Kailuk. Uh, it probably won't be Sekou Dumboya. Um, yeah, that that's how that's going to go. I guess my whole thing is I, I'm normally with you with, when you're lock, looking at closing games with Biggs as your number one option. It's kind of how I feel about Philly is that they really need Tobias Harris in that situation because Joel Embiid is just not going to be that or at least, you know, he says he's going to be because he lost 20, right. 25 pounds or whatever. Or or even if you do, it's like it's got to be like a LaMarcus Aldridge thing where it's like your guy is comfortable like taking like a, 20, a turnaround 20-footer. But, with, but, that, 
with Blake Griffin doesn't feel a little bit different after what he did last season. I mean, this is someone who, I mean, he hit more pull-up threes than Trey Young last year. And so absolutely. That's just where I'm looking. I'm okay with him being, and also I was more concerned with you again, are going to have way more knowledge on the Pistons than I am. I was just more concerned with their defense in those end of game situations than I was their offense overall, even if it didn't look pretty. And Derek Rose does not help you there in the slightest. That's fair. Uh, the, the thing that always just so when you looked at like their offensive defensive ratings, they were something like the uh, 12th best defense and like the 21st best offense, I believe. And so uh, offense has always been the issue with this team for like the last uh, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so like I was I was always comfortable making the trade off uh, for offense for defense. Because I have seen what uh, defense first lineups like get you at towards the end of games, and it, it gets you uh, the inability to create shots and score points, and that's a problem. Well, they were they like kind of flip flopped their rankings in uh, crunch time. They were I think seventh in offensive efficiency during crunch time last year, and so uh, they were I don't know what they were in defense. I should, oh I did have it written down. They were twenty eighth in crunch time defense last year, and so that was just something. Adding Derrick Rose to that when you have Blake Griffin is really just in my mind. I, I think the price probably makes it a little bit easier to stomach. And like you said, if if you're choosing between Derrick Rose and Ish, Ish Smith, D Rose is obviously just a better player in a vacuum. Yeah, and that and that was the evaluation I think the front office was making. Uh, what other what else you got for this team? Uh, the Andre Drummond Reggie Jackson pick and roll combination are functionally like both in contract years, and that's really exciting. Um. Both of those those guys have uh, performed to uh, a like an above average level uh, as long as Reggie Jackson has been healthy and on the court. And uh, this season, he appears to be he appears to start the season fully healthy for the first time in a while. Um, and he's just always been like a really good pick and roll partner with Andre Drummond. Um, and if both of those guys are healthy and both of those guys are motivated to find their next deals, like that could be absolutely lethal for opposing teams. Andre Drummond's player option to me is fascinating. I guess the prevailing assumption is that he'll just decline it because he's he's so young. I don't think he comes the, close, close to matching that $28.8 million that he's scheduled for. The prevailing opinion is that uh, he will decline it because he said he will decline it. Oh, I didn't even see that. So. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was like in an event in Florida, and he was like he was he didn't say he was going to decline his player option, but he said he was really excited about being a free agent at a time when like nobody else was going to be a free agent. And so, yeah. Are you worried about himself, him pricing himself out of Detroit? And why is it no? <laughs> it is no. <laughs> but uh, the reason I am not worried about it is honestly because of his position. Um, even if he is an all-star center, even if he makes an all well, if he makes an all-NBA team, all bets are off, to be perfectly honest. But if, if he's just an all-star center in the East – um, he could still get paid at a level that I will be comfortable with for a, in a long-term contract that is also like not a max contract. And so like that is, that is the sweet spot. I think you are trying to hit with Andre Drummond. You're trying to give Andre Drummond something in the neighborhood of like four years, 110. So it's like 27 average annual value. So like more than Vooch because like he thinks he's better than Vooch and he's younger than Vooch and he's better defensively than Vooch and like, but like not Al Horford money either because Al Horford is 
uh, a more complete defensive player, despite the fact that he's older and, you know, has offensive versatility that he doesn't have. And so, and that's also like not going to be what Rudy Gobert is going to make on his next contract, right? That's like not what, uh, that's less than the post rookie max, the post rookie, like 25% max than like Nikola Jokic and Kat and Carl Anthony Towns got, right? Like that is that number of like 27 uh, average annual value is about what the sixth to ninth best center in the league is worth. And that's what Andre is. Yeah, those those are all good points. And it, it really, to drive this point home, it, it really helps that one, there won't be a ton of cap space only around this summer. And two of the teams that project to have a ton of money to spend next summer, not many of them are going to need a center. I think you yeah. can say with certainty, there might be two. And would Atlanta want to spend on Andre Drummond to go with John Collins? I, I don't know. Uh, would yeah. Cleveland want to spend on Andre Drummond if they still have, even if they don't have Kevin Love, they have Larry Nance there. I don't know. I'm assuming the Knicks won't because I expect them to pick up a lot of the team options that they have scheduled, but also Mitchell Robinson uh, is, I think he's going to be awesome. And yeah. I kind of, I run out of runway there just looking at teams that might be interested in bigs next year. No, and that's that's a secondary element that's almost just as important. The team that frightens me the most with Andre is Atlanta only because I can see a scenario in which they determine that Andre is just like the perfect pick and roll partner for Trey Young and uh, do whatever it takes to obtain him and just play John Collins next to him. They seem kind of stuck on playing Collins at the floor at the four and having him space the floor. And so, uh, you know, that duo, I can see them, you know, talking themselves into to working. Uh, Pistons fans on the whole are concerned that the Knicks might do some dumb shit because they're the Knicks. And like, I don't, that I is always a genuine concern. Yeah. I can't, I can't fault them for that. But like, <laughs> if, if the Knicks want to pay Andre like 180 million, like, when you I have Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, then just, yeah, like, then let like <laughs> yeah, buy Cundius, man. Like, I, like, at that point, no, like, I will, I will totally understand. I'll be disappointed because I really enjoy what uh i really enjoy watching andre i really i've really enjoyed his development um i think he's a really good nba player and i think the pistons will be better uh i think the pistons will be better with him playing than with him not playing but like if he but if he wants to get paid like i totally understand man like i'll get it i'll be sad but i'll get it um one of my uh, other things with this team this is more i didn't want to use as my biggest question is seku dumboy are going to end up having any sort of role this season with them Ooh, okay, so Seku was my last uh, was my last thing, and uh, I'm super excited about Seku. I thought he was more ready than the, than the team appears to be willing to to let on. Um, it looks like he won't have much of a role this year, and that's uh, it looks like he won't have much of a role with the pro team. He will be like in Grand Rapids, like playing 30 minutes a game or whatever. But that that's really disappointing to me. Um, but it really looks like it'll be because of his uh, defense. Um, he is still learning English. Um, you can tell he is like not fully comfortable with the English language, just like even in interviews. Um, and you can uh, you can tell that like some of the defensive terminology like really escaped him at summer league. In his lone summer league appearance, he was just like atrocious defensively. And Casey has maintained that if he defends, he will play. 
but it doesn't it just doesn't look like he's ready defensively and so uh maybe he won't be in the team's plans you know maybe that changes later in the year as we get past the all-star break he's more familiar with the terminology he's he's learned some stuff um joe johnson gets hurt or something and like he there's a there's paths for him to make it into the rotation but to start it doesn't look like he'll he'll be there sadly i'm very disappointed about this i love seku i love the pick because uh, like on on draft night i was extremely concerned that we were going to end up with like nasir little or something because <laughs> because that was the type of player the pistons have selected in the past right like or a guy like romeo langford a uh, a shooting guard who can't shoot right mm-hmm. um but uh phoenix taking cam johnson was like really big uh rui actually going a little bit higher than i would have put him was really big um boston taking romeo langford <laughs> What, that was, was classic Boston. Give us all the guards that can't shoot. <laughs> that was extremely helpful. And so, like, yeah, having having not only like the youngest player in the draft who's an athlete, having him not only play like the single most valuable position on the floor in in like a big wing who uh, at six nine has the potential to uh, you know guard bigger wings and like be that that bigger wing himself. That's a that's the type of prospect that Pistons haven't had since Andre Drummond, essentially. And like that is that is a really exciting time. But like it's you know, it's it's hard to get a read on him. He played in France. There's not uh, there's not easy like access to a bunch of like his French highlights. If you're just like a random Pistons fan, Um, he doesn't have the name recognition, right? Like he didn't play at Duke or Kentucky or uh, any of the other like blue blood college programs. And so I think there's a level of like mystery around seku with the fan base but uh, i think there's also like a a level of unfamiliarity and uh and like just doubt about like his pro prospects but i'm super excited about him and pistons fans should be too i tend to agree with you just one i i'm always gonna say this when it comes to seku it doesn't turn 19 until just the end of december which is just absolutely crazy so yeah. you have the youngest guy in the draft like you said already also a lot of the the higher-minded draft people seem really high on his long-term shooting prospects. And if he's going to be someone that you don't project to groom as a ball handler, you, you never he was never going to start out that way anyway, but a lot of people concerned with just his recognition off the dribble and, and lack of handle, that's going to almost make him really easy to fit in on the offensive end if you want to get him minutes. And so if, if he can be that trustworthy shooter and he's not someone who's going to hijack possessions because he wants to operate on the ball – just having those plug and play types who like you already said can guard bigger wings is huge definitely and uh you know just it, eventually you do hope that he evolves into like a primary ball handler evolves into a guy who and uh, evolves into like a Pascal Siakam a guy who can uh, run your offense from the wing essentially but you know that's going to take a lot of time but that also means like if he doesn't figure it out like next year, that's fine. He'll be 19. <laughs> if he doesn't so figure young. it out the year after that, like it'll be fine. He's 20, right? Like there's, there's a lot of time. We, the Pistons can afford to be patient with this kid. Did you have anything else for your fast four? Those were my fast four. Yeah. My, my other thing, it was basically a question is what are the Pistons going to do next season when Josh Smith is no longer on the payroll? Celebrate, raise the banner. The uh the banner that like network like uh yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, should, they should hang a banner that says no longer paying Josh Smith five point three million dollars per year. It's is it's legitimately huge. As as a team that's like operated like as a 
as like a very much skirting the tax line for like three years at this point. They hard capped themselves for Langston Galloway in a move that I think like if you ask Duncan Smith about, he'll like still rip his hair out about. Um, like that having an extra five mil is like not nothing to the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, that was the. I remember when they. I remember his reaction when they hard capped themselves for Langston Galloway. That, that was that the same season, or maybe it was the off season after. I was very much caping for Contavious Caldwell Pope as like this really good player, and boy did I I end up missing. On that. yeah, that was that was the off season they drafted Luke Kennard as well, and so it was like, uh, so you like so you draft Luke, and then you sign this guy who's just gonna play over him, like what? It, <sighs> Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. But there's one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire's pumped the partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally, or measure yourself at home and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Hardwood Knox listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code blue wire for any premium suit and it'll cost you just 369 dollars to go along with free shipping this is an incredible deal for a premium made to measure suit once you go custom indochino promises you you won't go back uh, what's your biggest question heading into the season for the pitch the, the biggest the biggest question and the only question that really matters for this team is like what's the load management played plan for blake griffin um, how are you going to get Blake Griffin to both play 70, 75, whatever, play enough games to make you a playoff team and be healthy enough to uh, play for you in the playoffs? Like, what is the plan for that? Um, Dwayne Casey came out during media day and said, like, doesn't sound like it's going to be a full game, like rest situation. It doesn't sound like it's going to be like a Kawhi Leonard thing where he doesn't play back to backs or where he only plays like 60 games a night, it sounds more like what their initial thought is, is that they're going to try and play him just fewer minutes during games. Um, that could work. Uh, Blake Griffin, the the thing with Blake is um, his numbers dipped after January, and January was his highest usage month. He scored the most points per game. He had his best numbers, but he also played like 38 minutes a night in January, and they needed him for all 38 minutes uh, a night in that month because like that was the month their season was like slipping away and like he helped you know bring their season back from the brink but like it cost them you know his health like later in the year and so like do you get to a point where uh you have the depth to not be in a position where you're forcing blake to like save your butts every night and like grind himself to the bone in order to do that is that is the question and it's like if you feel like you're putting yourself in that position like, can you do a better job of like resting him against like, you know, resting him against teams like the Knicks or resting him against teams like the Wizards that we expect to be bad? I think Blake played like all Blake played like three out of the four games against the Knicks. And it's like the, there's literally no need for this. Like we we can win without him. But like, you know, that actually that turned out not to be true because like 
there was a game they load managed him against Cleveland and they lost. And like in the heart of a playoff chase, like they lost to Cleveland. Like that's a that's unacceptable. And so like you understand the coaching staff's predicament because like if you're losing to Cleveland to close the year, like you absolutely need Blake Griffin to play every game. But you if he if he plays every game, he's going to break down there. Odds are he's going to break down. And so like what the plan is for that is is the biggest and most important question for the Detroit Pistons this year. I'm glad you went with that one so that I didn't have to. And also because Blake was basically playing on one leg by the start of the playoffs last year. So it would definitely be helpful to them. To... It, it wasn't basically. He was playing on one leg. <laughs> the fact that he played was just because they go into that playoff series too. And you know that they're not going to beat. Uh, they're not going to beat Milwaukee. And so the fact that, that he was playing at all, like I know he missed some time. I, like it wasn't, I'm not one of those, oh, like he's such a tough guy. I admire that. But it's it's something for someone who was, his body was just so broken down and yet he was just continuing to play for a team that was the eighth seed. I mean, even when you look at just parts of the, the, the regular season, I know he missed some time towards the end of the regular season, I believe. It was just, I, I don't know if I want to use the word cool, but it was just, it was, I was sort of, I appreciated it. Yeah, Blake, Blake solidified he everything he did during the regular season solidified himself as like the leader of this team. But like I think that was the thing that like just truly endeared him to the uh Detroit like faithful. Like not only uh like I went to game three, that was the first game in the new arena. Um the like we didn't know if he was gonna play or not because he had missed the first two playoff games. And so like the building when he, it was announced that he was gonna be in the starting lineup just like erupted. It was crazy. And like that is the that is the moment that like Tom Gores has been like praying for and paying for like since he bought the team, like moments like that. And so like, yes, that is absolutely valuable. Like, yes, that that means something. How much does it mean? Like, you know, the who's to say, but like it that's that's worth something. Absolutely. My alternative question then for this team is, are they I guess it could be considered a healthy Reggie Jackson season away or sort of a bigger, bolder midseason trade away from being a real problem in the Eastern Conference. Just because you look at some of the money they have on their books now, Reggie Jackson expiring, Langston Galloway's expiring. If you're looking for other salary matching fodder, you know, Tony Nell, I don't think he declined his player option for next season, but that's not a backbreaking uh, contract. Even Derrick Rose can be used as salary matching fodder, fodder at midseason. Don Maker? Uh, yeah, that, those just numbers add up. And so if there's a relatively expensive player that becomes available that you can get, would this team, is it worth it for them, one, to make that type of move when you know you're probably not going to have any cap flexibility if you're planning on keeping Griffin and Drummond together long term? Um, and two, is it just worth it functionally this season? The problem would be identifying that move. They would be a great Chris Paul suitor if Blake Griffin wasn't on this team. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, it does if Milwaukee gets sick of Eric Bledsoe, is he enough of an upgrade to over Reggie Jackson to roll the dice on? Are there are there players that we're not thinking of that could become available? Bradley Beal would be absolutely fantastic on this team. I just don't know that they have the assets to make that level of an all-in trade. Yeah. Uh, so Beal has been a guy of interest among Pistons fans. The issue is that, like, at every level, they just get outbid. They did, if uh, like if Bradley Beal ever becomes available, they they just don't have the horses to to get him. Um, a guy that I personally have had interest in is like if Toronto doesn't have the season they expect, reuniting Kyle Lowry would be would be really intriguing right. with with Dwayne Casey. Um, Kyle Lowry's expiring. 
that is a guy who, uh, you know, championship pedigree, playoff performer, teams always find a way to win, does all the little things, would be a good pick-and-roll partner with Andre Drummond, um, a guy who uh, you could, you'd be comfortable giving a another contract despite his uh, advanced age, just like not like a guy who would make less than Chris Paul is making now, but uh, but you'd still be like willing to pay like $20 million a year, give or take. Um, and then uh, before the Pelicans uh, decided to be good, uh, <laughs> Drew Holiday was a guy that uh, intrigued a lot of people. And uh, I know like he would have also had a lot of suitors around the league, but uh, that was a guy who like just would have been – that's a guy who uh, fits everywhere, but like Detroit would have absolutely loved Drew Holiday. Yeah, he's definitely more gettable for them than Bradley Beal. I still think they would probably have to give up too too many future draft picks to really make comparable offers to what other teams might be offering yeah. in young players. Or, or is it something simple for them? Like, can they make some you know marginal moves on the wings? What if the Nuggets make Malik Beasley available because they they don't want to pay him and they know they're not going to be able to move? Will Barton's money off. Maybe they like Juan Hernan Gomez a little bit more than we've been led to the loot, uh, led to believe. And Michael Porter Jr. is balling out. This is a team, one of the few that can kind of cobble together the expendable money to come up with a, a combo Andre Godala, Jay Crowder trade. Seems like it, that'd be nice for the Pistons. I don't know that you get away with that one without giving up Reggie Jackson, obviously with other stuff. And then you're left with the problem of, well, then Derek Rose is really our, our, only our point, point guard. guard. Yeah, that's an uh, issue. But those are the, types of things I'm thinking is that is it worth it just looking at the layout of the East now I know there's Milwaukee and Philly and it seems like everybody else I'm wondering if they're going to be good enough to, to have that sort of mentality entering the, the trade deadline and then if if they are in a position to where it might make sense are they going to have the the gall to to go and do something like that because I think there are a lot of people that were upset around the Detroit area that they didn't go harder after Mike Conley around the trade deadline I know they went hard but I, I think it wasn't they wanted uh, Memphis wanted two first round picks and Detroit wasn't going to. So I'm just, I'm curious to see how committed or invested the team is in winning immediately. No, that's, that's totally fair. Um, you know, and even, even smaller moves really help this team. Our, our fake Langston Kim, Kim Birch trade would, would really help this team. meaningfully. Detroit. Yeah. It would not, not a championship, but like that would be like, I would feel much better about their prospects of making it to the second round with Kim Birch on the team. Right. If you uh, even like uh, Jay Crowder, like that is as a guy who could like fit in the starting lineup or, you know, come off the bench and defend and uh, paper over enough cracks in a lineup like that would be a guy to be really useful. Uh, I doubt Andre Iguodala would want to come here, to be perfectly honest. He seems clipper bound. Um, but uh, but yes, I think there, there are definitely uh, non-star uh, moves that move the needle enough for Detroit to make them like a very solid playoff team. Um, as far as like a Mike Conley or a bigger fish, like I don't think that's not, that doesn't appear to be in the plans for the Pistons. I think it was right to not include the package for Mike Conley. They were asking for two picks like, and Luke Kennard. So functionally like three first round picks, which is what they ended up getting from Utah to uh, current first future first and uh, Grayson Allen, who's their, First round pick last year, a and very so very generous classification of Grayson Allen. He, he was hey, he was a first round pick. I, <laughs> Duke white guy, Duke first round pick. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I I was comfortable not paying that price for Mike Conley, despite 
the fact that Mike Conley would definitely elevate this team into the level of like you, you could you could be you could feel a lot better about like home court in the playoffs with, with Mike Conley on this team. But like, hey, like, you know, like I said, like Kyle Lowry might be available. There might be other uh, backup big men that pop that would really make a difference for this team. Um, even even um, even like backup fours that could spell Blake. I think that's what they're hoping to get out of Markeith Morris, uh, who, you know, was a starter for a team last season. And so you, you assume he can play at a starter quality. But just uh, in both like improving the talent level and improve, either either of improving the talent level or improving the depth, I think, is enough to elevate this team into a solid playoff team. This one's tough for me. Are they going to grade higher, grade out higher on the offensive end or defensive end this year? Uh, this, is, this is easy. Defense. Uh, they've always been uh, a better than expected uh, defensive team. Um, they think they were, they were 12th last year. They were like eighth the year before. They were like 10th the year before that. They've always uh, managed to, through a combination of like leaning on Andre Drummond's uh, amazing performance as a rebounder, um, playing at a relatively uh, glacial pace, and uh, not. Well, last year they gave up. They were really terrible in transition, but uh, previously they were a pretty good transition team. Um, and so, then like leveraging the threat of Andre Drummond on the on the offensive glass like keeps other teams out of transition. And so, like they've been able to uh, leverage Andre like into a a top fifteen uh, defensive defense, like basically regardless of personnel. Um, this year the defensive personnel looks a lot better. They finally in, in Tony Snell, they have a guy like over six five who will be in the starting lineup, which which was a huge issue last year. Um uh Bruce Brown will probably start a shooting guard and he I think will be he was a really he was a really good defensive player last year, like even for a rookie, just like flat out. He was a really good defensive player. And I think this year, uh not only will he be better defensively, but I think as a rookie, as a guy who's more familiar with the rhythms of the NBA, he will get more, he will garner more respect from the referees, which will keep him in games longer. A big problem for him, for him last year was that he fouled too much. Um, and so like he will be, he will be a guy who can guard your primary ball handlers on the, on the other team. He's a guy who did a great job on James Harden in the two games the Pistons played. He's a He's a guy who did a great job on Steph Curry. He's a guy who uh, did a great job on Trey Young. He's 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 that level of defensive player. And so like, uh, and so in the starting lineup at least, like you think that um, they will be a better, uh, in, in like in terms of ranking, they'll be a better defensive team than offensive team. Who is the Pistons' best breakout candidate? Uh, I'm gonna go with Svi Mikhailuk. I'm gonna go with Svi. Um, Svi's a guy I liked a lot coming out of school last season. Uh, even like when he was playing uh, for the Lakers, like he was a guy I thought as as a guy who can just come in and like make shots, a guy who I thought should have played more for them last year. Uh, he didn't play as much for the Pistons because when he got there, he was hurt, essentially. Um, and so now, you know, he's a guy who can come in off the bench and make wide open threes. He's a 40 percent career three point shooter in college. Uh, I believe he was a like I believe it was a 40% three-point shooter in the G League last year with the with the longer line. Um, you look at his shot, and it's a pure-looking shot. It's a great-looking shot. The issue for him has always been shot selection. He's always been a guy who uh, likes to get himself in rhythm by taking bad shots. Um, if he excises those from his diet, if he's able to um, display, like keep flashing the level of playmaking he flashed in summer league uh, both years, 
um, as a passer in the pick and roll if he's just able to make the open shots that like Blake Griffin gets him like that's a guy the Pistons could absolutely use I want to that's if he's going to get playing time that's that'll be great to actually watch I want to I want to pick Lou Kennard but I, I feel like Bruce Brown is probably just a little bit of the safer bet because of all the things we've already talked about that he can do on defense and if he can up his three-point clip a little bit or if he can maybe even just finish a little bit better around the rim, he just becomes a completely uh, – he'll have way more utility on the offensive end for Detroit. Yeah, that that was that's very that's a very nice way of saying that he was super bad offensively last year. <laughs> hey, he's just, so, he's just so good defensively already, especially for someone his size, that it feels like if you can figure one of those things out – and look, to be fair – it's the first, you know, he was, he's a rookie last year. And so like yeah. he's dealing with, you know, going up against NBA length really for the, for the first time. And so, and it's not like the Pistons had the, the most pristine spacing either. So if we can just shoot a little bit better from three where defenses have to kind of sort of cover him because he, and he, look, he can move with the ball in his hands. It looked like from what I was watching, maybe not doing anything too complicated, but he, uh, some of the games I was watching, it looked like he got to the rim with the ball in his hands a, a good amount. So if he could just become maybe a better finisher kind of on the move. I'm not saying he needs to hit these pull-up jumpers off the dribble, but, you know, get to the basket and, and convert there. Uh, it's easier to play him, you know, starter-level minutes throughout the entire game. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, his first step is really quick, and that's what helps him get to the basket. Uh, last year, he got himself in trouble a lot by, like, doing just, you know, normal, weird rookie stuff, like trying to take off 12 feet away from the rim, just, like, for no reason. Uh, but in summer league, he was much better as a finisher about, you know, taking off from an appropriate distance, um, finishing through contact, uh, avoiding contact when necessary. And so I think that the finishing element of his game is probably further along than the shooting element, if we're being perfectly honest. But, you know, being able to contribute meaningfully offensively in terms of like being a, a rim attacker and passer is uh, will be huge for, for the Pistons because he wasn't able to do that last year. Strongest year-end award candidate for the Pistons? Uh, hot take, Andre Drummond, defensive player of the year. That's what that's what he said he wants on media day. And uh, yeah, like that's that's the only way he would get the $180 million he appears he wants is if he like elevated himself to that level of defensive player. And so, you know, that's that's what it looks like to me. That's more to me. That's even more likely than like a Blake Griffin MVP season. I go back and forth, but I'm going to go with Blake Griffin MVP season. It just feels like there are. I know there's been sort of a decline in super teams, but now it feels like we have more squads where there are going to be two players cannibalizing the votes from each other. LeBron and AD, everybody in in Philly a little bit, even if Joel beats the clear standout, particularly if. Um, either Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons winds up being uh, really good and also Al Horford's there. Russell Westbrook and James Harden, Stephen Curry and Draymond Green, although Steph might be my early season MVP pick. It feels like there's sort of a MVP candidacy vacuum out there right now. I know Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be the favorite to repeat, but and, and he's not going to be subject to the voter fatigue, but people are suckers for that Cinderella story, the guy that comes out of nowhere. If the Pistons are contending for fifth or something in the East or flirting with 50 victories and, and Blake Griffin is playing at the level that he was last year, I, I could see a fairly clear path to him heavily entering that conversation. 
No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. The only thing that gives me pause with that, and we'll get to Milwaukee later, is that like Giannis doesn't have that second guy, and so like there's still Chris Middleton room... just vomited in his mouth. He can do that. He's entitled to, <laughs> but uh, but there there's still room for Giannis to grow, and he's clearly clearly the unquestioned uh, star on his team. And like you said, I don't think, I don't think Giannis has uh, incurred like voter fatigue or anything yet. So, is there a lineup you're dying to see from the Pistons? Uh, <laughs> I'm dying to see kids plus Andre. I'm dying to see I I like this will this will never happen. This will never happen in a game with any meaning. But something like Bruce Brown at point guard. Luke Kennard is shooting guard, Svi and Seku on the wing, and Andre. Like that's a team that you know, if everyone is playing in the roles that you imagine them like living uh, into, that's a team that can attack you both offensively and defensively. Um, that's a team that has pick and roll partnerships for Andre uh, alongside like spacing. Uh, that's a team with like four good shooters and Dre. If if everyone's making shots, um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 the. That's the team that you imagine, like, kind of in your mind's eye. Like, if they, if the t- Pistons decided to like blow it up and pull the ripcord, like the Bruce Luke's v Seku core, quote unquote core, is is what you imagine like they would be uh, building around. That is an interesting one. I again went sort of in the opposite direction. I want to see Blake uh, at center with Markeith Morris at the four, and then oh, you have Tony Snell, no Luke Kennard, and Bruce Brown on the court with them. No, you don't. Uh, Blake was really bad as a center last year. Here, like, so here's my thinking there, is that Markeith Morris played some small ball five in Washington, so at least defensively he's sort of accustomed to holding up there. I don't think the defense would be great in that lineup, but you're not, you don't have to have Blake defend all these bruisers on the defensive end if he's playing right. the five with him. No, I, yeah, I can I can see that. If, if you make Mark, you're playing Blake, and Markeith together in the front court, and Markeith is taking the harder defensive assignments. Like, yeah, that that makes sense. And then, yeah, the rest of the lineup, I get that. You put Luke Kennard at point guard, right? Yeah, he would be the primary ball. I mean, I guess you could consider Blake the primary ball handler in that lineup too, but he would be one or or, or two, whichever one. Yeah, no, I think Luke Kennard's uh, progression and role is a source of a lot of intrigue for uh, Pistons fans going into this season. Um, he's probably going to come off the bench, and a lot of people are pissed about that. But uh, it puts him in the best position to succeed. But like, yeah, I think that um, I think yeah, I think that'd be a, that'd be an interesting lineup to watch, definitely. Yeah, if you want to maximize his offensive development, I think coming off the bench is probably the smart move. Yeah, definitely. And Dwayne Casey agrees with you for what it's worth. <laughs> a player most likely to be traded on the Pistons. Langston Galloway, just for all the reasons we mentioned, like Ken Birch, and that's just that's the trade that's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, like the. The glut of this team is that shooting guard. He is the most expendable shooting guard. Like as as uh, both a guy who's an expiring contract and a guy who uh, has more like a clearly defined value across the league than like a Luke Kennard or a Bruce Brown or a Kyrie Thomas. Um, it just makes a lot of sense for Langston Galloway to to be traded at some point this season. Where do you think the Pistons are going to finish in the East? I think. Right now, I have them finishing seventh. That's I, I don't think I mean that's not that's definitely not a reasonable. There there's probably a clear path to them going a little higher though. If Toronto ends up selling, uh, maybe if Brooklyn or Indiana or Boston is a little bit more disappointing than people expect, and Indiana we're gonna get to them, but with depending on how much time Oladipo ends up missing and what he looks like upon return, they've taken some some pretty 
uh, chancy gambles with their roster. So there's I seventh I think is the right safe pick, but I do believe that there is a a, a clear chain of events to them finishing in the five or six range as well. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think that uh, essentially, like they, I need to see it before before I'm comfortable uh, moving the Pistons like just ahead mentally. Um, the Pistons have started the year strong. The last like three years, they started like thirteen and seven or like twelve and seven, and then just kind of uh, fallen flat as the schedule got more difficult. Um, this year, the the schedule like really tightens up for them at the end of the year. So they're going to need to bank a lot of wins prior to like March and April in order to to make the playoffs uh, and be competitive. And uh, so that 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 looms ominously over the over the whole season. What's your bold prediction for Detroit? Bold prediction. Svi Mikhailuk, 1500 minutes. Book it. Wow. I like Ro- it. Rotation player the entire year does his job, shoots the ball well, never loses his spot. Wow, never loses his spot. As the backup small forward, nope, never loses it. Wow, that is wild. Um, My bold prediction is that Blake Griffin is going to finish, and maybe this isn't bold, in the top five of MVP voting. I like. Didn't he finish like seventh or eighth last year in MVP voting? I think he was seventh. I'll, I'll double check that. Um, okay. But no, I, I like that a lot because that would make me very happy. <laughs> it's probably the problem would be it's it's based on or it would have to be based on him now not missing anything close to significant time where I I don't know that I, I couldn't confidently say that he's going to clear 75 appearances again but he might he has to be in that 71 72 range to be as high on the MVP ladder as he was last no, year I, and he if he's putting up like 25 7 and 6 like there's definitely a case for him to be made as a top five MVP candidate he did not finish in the top 10 of MVP voting last year. What? So that is, I guess it ends up, I don't know why I could have sworn that he was in it. Giannis was one, Harden two, Paul George three, Jokic four, Curry five, Lillard six, Embiid seven, KD eight, Kwai nine, Westbrook 10, Rudy Gobert and LeBron were tied in 11th. I mean, all those names make sense, but it's still. I don't still know why I like... could have sworn he finished. Yeah, it felt like he finished higher than that. Huh. Well, that does make my prediction fairly bold. Then I should say it, Blake it, Griffin's going to finish in the top seven of MVP voting this year. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Steph and KD splitting the vote just screws up MVP voting so much. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Womp womp. We are on to the Indiana Pacers, 48 and 34 last year. They had some turnover this offseason. Their notable additions include... Uh, Gogo Batadze, Jakar Sampson, I think, are still on their roster. I should have skipped over him. I don't know why he's in my notes. Jeremy Lamb. He was, he Justin, was on the plane when they were headed to India. Oh, yeah, there, there you go. I wasn't sure if he was still on the roster. Just, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ McConnell, and TJ Warren. Notable exits. Boyan Bogdanovich, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison, retired. Kyle O'Quinn, Thaddeus Young, Tyreek Evans, banned. And Wesley Matthews. And they re-signed Ed, Edmund Sumner. What are your what is your fast four for this team? What are your thoughts on them? I really, really, really hope the two big starting lineup works for them. Um, it'll be really nice to have a team that goes against the grain in in the interest of like stylistic diversity across the league. Like I really hope starting two bigs uh, falls back into vogue and that the the Pacers will be uh, at the forefront of that 
if uh, if that happens. I just it's look the one thing that's going to have to happen is you're going to need Turner and Sabonis to up their outside volume if that two big lineup. Is yeah, Turner Turner's going to have to shoot more threes. I think Sabonis is going to have to do it or actually shoot threes too. It's just they were so cramped last year after. Oladipo went down uh, their offensive rating for cleaning the glass when those two played without Oladipo was 105.6, which was in the 18th percentile over a 626 possession sample. I I just don't know that I see a, a an easier path to them improving upon that now. I mean, even after you have Victor Oladipo come back, Malcolm Brogdon's a great shooter, but he's Darren Collison was probably better at firing off the dribble than he's ever going to be Jeremy Lamb's not a great shooter I would say maybe you could call him league average he's probably a little bit below he can do great stuff in the mid-range and with the ball in his hands TJ Warren had one year last year where he shot the hell out of the ball uh can that come back again they have shooters like Doug McDermott or a shooter like Doug McDermott but are you going to give him consistent rotation minutes is Justin Holiday going to hit enough of his threes his, his percentages have waxed and waned from there and I just question whether it's it's really ever going to work offensively and then I don't know that it's this huge it's not an asset to me defensively I almost feel like the numbers were good with them defensively once the bonus and Turner shared the court but it almost felt like in spite of that where Turner is just so good and and his uh mobility in the half court feels like it continues to improve from year to year that you can get away with playing him alongside another big and it's not necessarily some necessarily something you would call an asset no, yeah, you're de- if if that lineup is going to have success, it's definitely going to have to be mostly on the defensive end. Um, even just from like a rebounding perspective, you're going to have to t- have to kill teams on both ends on the glass. Um, you're going to have issues probably with uh, stretch fours or playmaking fours. But fortunately, like there's just in my mind, there's just like a dearth of primary shot creation on the wing across the league, and so like in the regular season. If you just play your best guys, despite the fact that your two best guys are two of your best guys are bigs, like I, I think you can have success that way. Uh, will you have playoff success that way? Uh, remains <laughs> to be seen. But uh, you know, we're only talking regular season here. Uh, what, what else do you have for this team? We definitely had a shared uh, on the double, the double big lineup. That was that was a shared topic. Yeah, you you brought it up a little bit, but uh, for me, it was just like did. Did TJ Warren really fix his shot or did he just get like hurt at the most opportune time possible? Because he was he was shooting a hot clip from three and then got hurt and then, you know, didn't really play the rest of the year. And so, like, did he did he fix his shot or did he have a hot month and a half? That that is an open question. I I tend to lean towards his shot being fixed because he was a he was a really good mid range shooter before. So it makes sense to me that a player on at his age, like with his development curve, uh, extended his range out to a point where he would be a, an excellent three point shooter. But you that is not a that is not a given. Right. Like you definitely have to question that. And there will be teams who, you know, make him prove it early in the year. Yeah, that, that that's certainly a good one. And they need him to shoot well for their for their offense. To, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, to float the, the Turner's a bonus front court, especially mine is. And I don't mean to be too like crass about this, but what I'm just kind of wondering why Pacers fans were so excited about Gogo Batadze being drafted. It's you have Miles <laughs> Turner, you have Sabonis, and I'm excited to be able to say Goga if I'm them. But I, I, 
the questions have always been, is he going to be quick enough to defend at all? Like maybe he'll end up being a good standstill rim protector. He's big. And the fact that you have a big who can, who can shoot and is so comfortable um, operating from the perimeter, that's fantastic. But you have Miles Turner. And I don't, you know, Golga Turner playing at the same time, that's not something that intrigues me. And Golga Sabonis feels like it's going to end up being a defensive nightmare. I'm just, no, that's, I'm, that's I'm very fair. curious as to why they, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just like NBA Twitter or people around the league or just indifferent fans. It was the, the Pacers, like Indiana and their fans seemed really excited. <laughs> well, like Goga's really good. And so like, it helps from like a talent acquisition thing. The other thing is like, who are they going to draft instead? Like I, my, I think I remember hearing or reading somewhere that, that they, they were really after Nikhil Alexander Walker. And so like when he went to pick before them, that really messed up their plans. I could be wrong about that. Um, but that would like, have been a hell of a pick by them though. Yeah, no, absolutely. But like, I guess when you look at the guys after Goja, it's like, okay, they could have taken Brandon Clark instead. Maybe they hundred percent should have, but carry on. Grant Williams, could, even Grant, Grant Williams, maybe like Dylan Windler. Uh, Ty Jerome would have been nice for them. Is Keldon Johnson. They need shooting. So why the hell not? Yeah. I mean, you know what? Maybe they were just shocked that Cam Johnson was off the board before. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but like, yeah. And as part of, as just like pure talent acquisition, like I, I don't hate the the Goga pick. It's a talent acquisition. I just don't see the long. You got I, you, I guess it's okay to get really excited about a backup five who was drafted, uh, number eighteen. What else are you yeah. expecting on that position? It was just I don't know. There seemed to be more hype than there should have been for a backup five who was drafted at number eighteen. No, that's totally fair. What else do you have for them? The the dumb easy one. Uh, what does Oladipo look like when he comes back? Okay, one that's not dumb. These his the ruptured quads are just no joke. Like it's I I'm so I what is December his target date for return and if he doesn't look the same they don't really have a primary playmaker. Perhaps Aaron Holiday evolves into that, but it's Jeremy Lamb isn't a setup guy. Uh, T.J. McConnell, I mean that'd be generous to call him a setup guy. And Malcolm Brogdon just he's never ran primary point for extended periods of time before. The Bucks gave him. I believe last last season they gave him more run kind of on his own than they did to Eric Bledsoe when you look like time spent without Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo, but those reps are coming against second verging on third stringers probably, whereas now he's all of a sudden their starting point guard. No, absolutely. And for me, it's it's not a question of like what they look like when Oladipo comes back or what they look like when he's gone. It's uh, It's how quickly does he try and make it back? There are already reports that like he's trying to beat the December timeline. Um, he was if you if you watched him last year, he was at like ninety percent of what he was two seasons ago. But like even that ninety percent, like you could clearly tell like something was bothering him. Right, and he like was definitely obvi- trying, didn't even admit. Is, hasn't that been the whole thing that he was, or it's come out that he was trying to play through something? Right, exactly. And so like if he comes back and he's at you know, 80%, like, is he still absolutely a valuable and useful player for the Pacers? Like, yes, but their ceiling will be much lower because he's not at full strength. Conversely, if they are able to uh, get off, if they were if they are able to play well, if the team meshes, if, you know, the regular season schedule, which I haven't looked at for them, like aligns in such a way that they can be successful and, you know, give him more time to recover and he's able to come back at 100%, 
Like I feel much more comfortable about this team as a danger to other teams in the playoffs. One of my other things, I think this is my, our third one for this team, is how much are they going to miss Thaddeus Young? Because their identity, when you look at their roster, I it's it's a little bit harder to discern a clear identity than it was from last season where they were just this reliable defensive squad. And he's a big part of what – I know he caused some offensive problems for them in, in the playoffs, the way that defenses could you know, leave him alone, try yeah. to force him to, to do stuff that he's not used to doing in the regular season. At the the same time, he's so important to what they were doing defensively. And is he's a good he's a good all around defender. Where you know you look at guys that are good one on one defenders or they're good team defenders. He's kind of both, and he's not shut down in any one area. But we talked about him already with the Bulls. He's an all defense team candidate. At least it feels like for the past half decade, year in and year out, that you can mention him in that conversation. And now you're going to invest a lot in the Sabonis Turner front court. But like, where are the other four minutes coming from? And there's even been stuff trickling out of training camp that it doesn't really seem that the, like the Pacers believe Gogo's going to be ready to be the predominant backup five. And so that might lead to a lot of staggering for Turner and Zabonis, which is smart, but then it's still, you know, TJ Warren at the four lineups work offensively if he's hitting his threes, but TJ Warren is not a plus defender. And then just where do you go from there? Are you banking on stuff from TJ Leaf all of a sudden? Um, right. Alizé Johnson, uh, Doug McDermott playing the four or something like that. Like that's going to hurt you defensively. And this team's identity is defensively right. like total makes total sense. And uh, did you have anything else for them? Uh, how much do they rely on the kids? Um, you know, if they play a nine man rotation, like they could be playing, you know, Aaron holiday, Edmund Sumner, TJ leaf and Goga, like in, in an, in a regular nine man rotation like that, you could look, you can look in their roster and be like, oh, okay, like they're going to play like, four of those kids at the same time. Like if, if they do that, I don't know that they will, but like if they do that, like that you, you have to worry about how those guys with limited experience will hold up over the course of the regular season. Yeah. And that's, they're really high on Sumner. I think that was even part of the beginning of their training camp is that he's been getting a lot of looks with the second unit. Uh, so it does seem like there might be semi invested in the kids development, but when you're trying to make the playoffs, your priorities can shift. My final point, question, general wonder about them is uh, how much is Aaron Holiday going to play slash develop and, and will Nate McMillan lean into these Brogdon, Holiday, Oladipo uh, trio combinations where, you know, you don't have mm. that traditional floor general, but so let's just overload the defense with these secondary ball handlers. That is something I had never like thought about that that three man pairing, but that's really interesting. I like that a lot. I that, don't know how you. That I don't might know be more you... of a Nate McMillan question, though. Because yeah, of, that's fair. So uh, th- that's just something that I hope to see from them. Do you have the biggest question for them? Are we just both in agreement? It's what is Victor Oladipo going to look like when he comes back? Yeah, that's the clear question for them. Essentially, um, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with the quad injury that Vic had. I, uh, they, they, we keep mentioning Tony Parker, but like Tony Parker was just a completely different player at that stage in his, of his career when he had that injury. And so like we legitimately as, as NBA fans don't have a great frame of reference for what we should expect for Victor Oladipo. Like when he comes back, like when guys tear their ACL, we know like, okay, in like one year to recover, 
one year to get like to 80%, one year to get back to 100%, and then like year two after the surgery, like you're probably back on your way to, to being where you were. We have a we have a frame of reference for like Achilles. It's like Achilles are really bad. Guys never quite look the same after Achilles injuries. But like you know, soft tissue uh, muscle injuries, especially like in the quad and like the calf, like don't got a great frame of reference for that. Like sorry, I can't tell you how explosive is he going to be. Don't know how good but defensively. He needs to be. Like that's a part of <laughs> yeah. his game. This isn't Tony Parker who can get by on just gliding into floaters. Right. It was like, well, you know, and that that affects like defensively, right? Like, how how quick is he going to be laterally? Is he going to be able to stay with guys in in the playoffs? Like, in a playoff series, like, do you have to like, is he going to be able to guard Josh Richardson, right? Like, or is he going to be? Are you going to have to like hide him somewhere? Is is he going to be uh, an asset or a liability? That it's a it's a big question and one the Pacers season kind of hinges on. There, this isn't a good frame of reference, but like, look at how long it took Kawhi Leonard to come back from a quad injury, and he had some left knee issues during the finals that were yeah. attributed to the quad injury that he that is apparently fine now, but he's either compensating or something he developed early on during the recovery. So it seems like a fairly serious problem, and there, it's not even just this season, but their entire trajectory changes if he isn't the all NBA type player that he was a year ago. Oh, definitely. And, uh, or two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know, do they handle him in a Kawhi Leonard fashion? Like even after he returns, is there like what element of load management does he receive? Like how does that affect their regular season performance? Like they get, they find themselves out of rhythm because like Vic can only play two out of every five games. Like what, what does that do for them? Right? Like it's, it's just a huge open question. Is this team going to grade out higher on the offense or defensive end? I, I think defensively still, uh, partially because like, if you just look at the roster, they don't have the horses offensively and partially because like they have a really good defensive coaching staff with Nate McMillan and Dan Burke. Uh, who all the Indiana guys rate, or all the Indiana analysts uh, rave about as a as a defensive uh, wonder, and so it it appears that their identity will have to come from the defensive end. And it does seem that they're not an especially fast team to begin with, but it sort of does seem that without Oladipo, they're really going to have to turn games into a slog, which would benefit their defensive schemes way more than what they could do on offense, since they're not stocked with these high-end half-court scores yeah and like Vic and like Oladipo created defensive events that like led to easy points right and like they don't even have that element of his of his offense anymore like it just you know limits what they can do uh, in transition so who's their most likely breakout candidate uh oh uh Sumner I like Sumner a lot uh he went to my high school so I actually witnessed him uh, win a state championship in person. Uh, I was covering the game. I he and I were like weren't contemporaries at that point. I'm way older than he, than he <laughs> is. <laughs> but uh, but I did see him win. I did see him play well. I've I've seen the type of player uh, he can be, and uh, you know he's got the measurables. Uh, he's got the skill level. Uh, I'm just I'm really excited about like what he potentially offers uh, for the team, and and you know. Like we were talking about earlier, the opportunity is going to be there for him, right? Like, you're going to play like TJ McConnell over him? Like, no, I didn't think so. So, like, yeah, he's there's a great chance that uh, he's 
has a solid backup role in the rotation and flourishes. I really want to pick Alizé Johnson, but your point with Edmund Sumner hits home here. He's just not going to have the opportunity. Uh, when you look at the front court minutes being commandeered by Sabonis and Turner, and then I'm assuming they're going to want to get to TJ Warren at the four lineups at some point. And so I would assume that sort of makes the, uh, the available possessions for him pretty finite. So I'm going to go with Aaron holiday just because the opportunity feels like it's going to be there for him. Uh, do is, is, could he maybe play his way into the starting lineup before Victor Oladipo comes back where you start uh, Brogdon and Aaron they, holiday? Aaron holiday started for stretches for them last year. Didn't he? Um, well, if they're viewing Brogdon as a point guard, I'm just wondering if he would be, the point guard and you bring uh holiday off the bench but i guess it makes sense not to because you have tj mcconnell there now if you're uh, at least in the interim for victor oladipo well, no but i'm saying i'm saying like aaron holiday has starting experience they are they like the coaching staff is familiar with what aaron holiday is capable with as a starter and so like that would be something they would be comfortable doing yeah for sure i think he's um, i just he actually did not start at all last season no he started a couple of games did he uh, really? Not? He started a couple of games, didn't he? I felt like he did. Not according to basketball reference. Huh. Okay. Maybe he closed a couple of games and that was it. He's just, he looks like he's going to be really feisty. And so you want his jumper to be just more consistent, but he's going to be, uh, he already is a problem on the defensive end. And he shot above 60% at the rim. Not good, not great. I think for someone who is a, a rookie point guard and kind of thrust into unexpected minutes. I don't know that anyone uh, expect him to play over 600 minutes last season um and then he did hit a higher percentage than i realized on his long twos and so maybe that bodes well they need that offensive wild card to hit it feels like he's probably the the best bet on the roster he might also just be their only offensive wild card unless you want to throw tj warren's jump shot into that fold no definitely and i'm glad you mentioned the number so i can just say like dude's got swag dude's got swag (laughs) uh strongest year end of the ward candidate I think this was uh, pretty easy. Okay, well, I want to hear yours first then. I was going to say Miles Turner for defensive player of the Ooh, year. Ooh, okay, we don't have the same one, but tease that out. It's just, look, if they're going to be uh, an elite defensive team again, at least during the the regular season, he's going to be a huge part of the reason why. He's really improved, as I said before, the way that he can move in the half court. He's one of the best rim protectors in the game. He's better at challenging jumpers than a lot of other bigs are. I do kind of worry about how it if if that candidacy would be impacted should the Sabonis Turner front court need to log heavy minutes and, and not be effective, but he's just really an, an actual monster and doesn't seem to just make uh, mistakes at all. Like, even when he's not directly involved with the play, it always feels like uh, he's where he needs to be and doesn't deviate outside of that too often. Yeah, I I like that pick. Um, having I will say, like having seen him go, watching him in the context of a bunch of like Pacers Pistons games, um, he is not supremely strong on uh, on the defensive glass, and so Andre Drummond kind of gives him fits in that area. Andre Drummond gives everybody fits in that area, but I know that's a that, that's a weakness that other people have noticed in his game, and so I wonder if that kind of counts as a strike against his Defensive Player of the Year candidacy if he's just like not and uh, if he's like just an average or slightly above average rebounder. Yeah, he kind of has the, I'm trying to think of what the good comparison would be, but just that where he's probably not as strong as he should be either. Like we're going up against those huge bigs, if it's a Joel Embiid or an Andre Drummond, those matchups feel like they could cause problems for him. So I definitely agree with definitely, you. Definitely, definitely. Uh, my pick was uh, Nate McMillan, Coach of the Year. That's a good one too. 
I see like the for me like the narrative of that is really easy. It's like they start really fast without Oladipo. Oladipo comes back fully healthy. They step on the gas even even further. They're like the third best team in the Eastern Conference, and everyone is happy. And it makes an it makes it makes an excellent narrative. Um, it's it's possible. I wouldn't say likely, but but possible. And uh, Nate McMillan, I think, is a coach who's been uh, underrated. We'll go we'll go with underrated for the work he's done in in Indiana. Not the work he did in Portland. I remember those Portland series, but but the work he's done in Indiana, I think, has been uh, needs to be. We need to do a better job of appreciating uh, what he's accomplished. And you know, Coach of the Year would be a nice uh, capper for that. I will appreciate him more if they get a little bit creative, uh, a little bit more creative on the offensive end. That's where that's it, the worst If he were, if if they give up like ninety nine points per hundred possessions and they just win every game like one hundred eight to one hundred two, like it, that works too. <laughs> it's fine. I won't know because I won't be watching then. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, is there a lineup you're dying to see from this squad? The starting lineup without uh, without Debo, Brogdon, Lamb, Warren, Sabonis, Turner. It's it's the starting lineup, like yeah, sure. But like we've been talking around the too big starting lineup this entire time, and I just want to see if it works or not. I'm curious. I'm already over it. I don't even want to see it anymore. <laughs> you haven't even seen it. It's like I'm done. We've seen it for two seasons. It has it has not been great. I, I not a ton, I guess, in volume for two seasons. But last year, I think they played over a thousand possessions together, or whatever it was in, in total. I'd have to double check that. I want to see. I already alluded to this. Uh, Aaron Holiday, Brogdon, Victor Oladipo. Give me TJ Warren with Miles Turner. None of this dual big stuff. I'm, again, I'm done with the, the Sabonis Turner pairing. I think it's probably time if they haven't already to really explore S- Sabonis trades, which which might uh, leak nicely into our next question: player most likely to be traded on the Pacers. Yeah, I think it's Sabonis. If if they can't come to restricted free agency terms, um, if you know he. The the thing that made me really like think about this is when it came out during media day that it wasn't like the coaching staff wasn't like it was like, oh, yeah, we like loved the idea of pairing Sabonis and Turner together in the starting lineup. It was like, uh, it was like, yeah, Sabonis has like played really well and he's earned the opportunity to be a starter and raise his profile across the league. And so we're putting him in the starting lineup. It was it didn't sound like the coaching staff was like super enthused about the idea of, of playing big. And so it. And I have to assume the front office feels similarly. And so if you if you find a, a good wing uh, trade partner, if you do the uh, Nate Duncan uh, Sabonis for Jalen Brown trade that apparently everybody's talking about, um, like, yeah, I, that both ends of the, that trade makes a lot of sense for both teams. And I think you can you can engineer um, a lot of trades similar to that uh, across the league. There's a lot of teams that could use a big guy like Sabonis. I'm with you, and it's it really seems like they need to hammer out an extension with him if they're going to keep him because if 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 the pairing with Turner works out and he's not under contract, it's only going to cost you more money because he's just going to look better entering the open market. And so when you have so much uh, or a fair amount of money committed to Turner and you just paid Brogdon, you just paid Lamb, you have Warren on the books for a little bit, Oladipo uh, is going to need a new contract after next season, I believe. he's He's coming up on his. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you can't pay if they can't lock him up on an extension where it seems like, Hey, we might be able to float this. It feels like he is probably good as gone. The, the thing is there though, maybe they, they will decide to chance it because it, I feel like it's actually really hard to make big for wing trades right now. There might That's be teams so... that could use him, but I like, would the Celtics actually trade Jalen Brown for the Mads Sabonis? I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. And it, it is weird because like there are a bunch of teams that could make use of Sabonis, but probably not at the cost of their best wing prospect, right? Um, and also like for locker room purposes, like there's no way he can make more than Miles Turner, which is kind of an issue. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, bold or excuse me, where will the Pacers finish in the East? Right now, I have them sixth. I think that's I think that's fair, just above the Pistons. Uh, you know, that's presuming Oladipo is back in relative health on the timetable that the team has already established, and um, that you know, in his absence, the team is not like just super bad offensively and super and uh, super good defensively and wins games. Like it, that that seems like an adequate place to put them. I can't. In my like mind's eye, I can't elevate them above like a Brooklyn when I like know what Brooklyn's gonna be, right? Right, and it that's it that's a, a good place to put them. I think they do seem to have one of the highest variances from floor to ceiling in the league because you can talk yourself into so many different scenarios where it's well, if Oladipo comes back and he's not the same and they got off to a slow start, they could actually end up being a lot worse than people would think. At the same time, what if they? They won some. They slogged through a bunch of games without him last year. Maybe they get off to a better start. He comes back, looks better than we expect, and all of a sudden, maybe they could enter that top four, top three conversation because it's so wide open below Milwaukee and Philadelphia. They, there just seems to be a, a ton of variance in Indiana. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Bold prediction for the Pacers: If they don't play Philly or Milwaukee in the first round, they advance. Wow, that's just straight up. That's I guess you have Oladipo at that point. It's uh, yeah, Oladipo's fully healthy. Um, they figured out all the kinks at that point. Um, they'll they'll be. I, I'm assuming with Oladipo, they're more uh, adept offensively. And at that point, like like I they there's no team that I see as like just clearly better than them in a playoff setting. Um, that's not named Philadelphia or Milwaukee. So they, yeah, I think they advance. My bold prediction is it's sort of a cop out, but they also don't feel like this team that does a lot of shakeups midseason is that they actually do trade Demantis Sabonis in the middle of the season. I don't know who it's going to be for, what they're ultimately going to get back. I just feel like they're going to. No, I don't, I don't think that's a hot take at all because, like, the well, that, absolute it's going to yeah, count pa- as a hot take here. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Pacers thing to do would be to like extend him, right? Like Herb Simon just be like, no, like we we love this guy. He's played really hard for us. He's a starter. He works hard. Like pay him seventy million. That or at the same time, do you let it roll into the restricted free agency for all the reasons that we were just talking about for Andre Drummond? No, it, oof, that'd be a good point, and that'd be so risky too because like, well, well. Well, you have the Cavaliers out there lurking. That's what I was thinking. He would be a really good fit for what they're trying to do. The right age, um, right profile offensively. Um, if Kevin Love was still there, and that's too many white guys in the front court. That's not, <laughs> that's not it's, okay. It's, uh, it's Cleveland. They'd be fine. <laughs> when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. 
ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, and enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, our final team. They were a league best 60-22 and 22 last year. Uh, their offseason notable additions include Dragon Bender. You're welcome. Frank Mason III, Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez, uh, Tanasis Atentacumpo, and Wesley Matthews. Uh, notable exits include John L- John Lohr, Malcolm Brogdon, Nikola Mirotic, Pau Gasol, Tim Frazier, and Tony Snell. Notable resignings include Brooke Lopez, George Hill, and Chris Middleton. What do you have for this team? Why didn't they just pay the luxury tax for Malcolm Brogdon? You know, people, I I gave that criticism when I was writing their offseason grades, and I, I thought I was fairly generous. I gave them a, uh, when I wrote for Bleach Report, a B. But I said that some people think it's an oversimplification to say, why didn't they just pay the tax? It's, it's, a legitimate, it's a legitimate critique. You could have kept Malcolm Brogdon while doing all these things. Why didn't you? Yeah. The, the point of the luxury tax is to keep together a championship team. With the reigning MVP, you have a championship team. So just pay the luxury tax. Like That's what it's for. Right. Like if you were if you were the Pistons and you were like, oh, God, like there's there's no way we can pay Reggie Jackson like another like hundred million dollars. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like I get it. And like that would put you in the luxury tax. Sure. But like if you're going if you're going to win a title, if you think you have a title team, retain your best players. Makes sense to me. There. Yeah, it's it's just and with I, I'm not one of the people that says Giannis is definitely going to leave. I think there's a legitimate chance that Attentacupo stays there. But yeah. when you know that's hanging over your head, this doesn't exactly send the best message. And people are saying they effectively made the choice. Bledsoe over Brogdon. That's, if that's the choice that they made and that's the choice they knew they were going to risk by signing Bledsoe to an extension that I actually said I thought was fine at the time, but then he laid another egg in the playoffs. And I'll admit that it, it doesn't look as great now. I think the the partial guarantee in that final year helps it look a little bit better still if he's still going to play well during the, the regular season. But that being said, if that's the choice you knew you had to make, I don't know why you would have chose chosen to sign Eric Bledsoe over giving your yourself uh, a better chance to keep Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Bledsoe extension is, is another one of my things, right? Like, so from my perspective, like, yes, they probably saved themselves money uh, on the extension by signing him before the end of the season. But uh, but now it's eminently clear that like you can't go to war in the playoffs with this guy, and so like again like you're trying to win a championship and you have a guy you you can't go to war with that seems bad. So now now they have to now they have to figure out how to resolve that situation. Like is there is it is it a schematic thing? Is it a personality thing? Like is it do you just you just got to trade him right? Like the 
extending him before waiting to see his playoff performance, um, while it might have made financial sense, I don't know how much basketball sense it made. 100%. Um, I'll roll through two of mine combined since we stepped on two of yours. And I guess they're sort of related. One, you trade Tony Snell, and now you don't have Brogdon to just move around positionally. What are you doing defensively against bigger wings outside of we have Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton? And then my second thing would be this all of a sudden ties into we're looking at Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, or Tanasis Antetokounmpo. One of those guys all of a sudden needs to play like a real role in my eyes. Yeah, no. Hey, thanks for Tony Snell, by the way. Super useful. (laughs) (laughs) Really appreciate that guy. Second, I think they're like really leaning heavily on Sterling Brown in that to to step up and like fulfill that role. But um, and I kind of like that. But at the same time, like last year they were playing uh, like they they brought back George Hill and they were playing George Hill a bunch like in 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 that like secondary creation uh, off guard role. And it's like, what? Why do that? Like, why not just why pay George Hill 10 mil? And not pay Malcolm Brogdon twenty mil. It, the Brogdon thing just like continues to like astound me because he was just absolutely perfect uh, for that team. And I'm gonna keep coming back to it because I'm an idiot. But uh, <laughs> no, I don't but think yeah, it's. Like, I think again, I think it's a fair critique of their offseason, especially when they just won sixty two games. And we see, you know, Philly loses Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick, but they kind of load up with now they have the best starting five in basketball still. And you've given. I think you can argue that Philly, if everything hits hits right has three top 20 players on its roster. That's, you know, Al Horford would have to have a really good season. Three top wait, 25 players. Who, oh, guys, like, wait, who's the third guy? But it's Horford, yeah. not Harris. Okay, that makes more sense, yeah. So, But, I mean, like, you, you, they could have four all-stars in the Eastern Conference. That's yeah. that's an actual thing. It might have been an easier path to that with Jimmy Butler still there. But you know Philly's still lurking. I guess the rest of the East is a little bit easier. I, I The Malcolm Brogdon, I get the reasoning um, although it, it was reported that they were willing to pay the tax in advance in the summer, but I feel like most front offices speak like that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. after you don't pay the tax, yeah. like yeah, you totally say you're we're willing to pay the tax. It just didn't happen like that. Like, okay, sure. Uh, Georgia was good for them in the playoffs at points though. Just all of a sudden coming out of nowhere. Was he thirty million dollars good? Well, the last year's full fully non guaranteed, right? I think. So they basically split his salary and yeah. salary yeah, okay. in half. Yeah, that's fair. And from whatever he was supposed to make this year and then gave it to him over two years with that, that third year. It's not, no, it's not worth losing Malcolm Brogdon. No. Not, not even close. Um, and my, yeah. my next thing is uh, why the front office should have taken away Bud's uh, blankie and traded <laughs> and traded Ursan Ilyasova. To where, for who? I, or didn't they, did they, um, you attach some like seconds and just, Get rid of that guy. Like, Look, you're going to need Ursan Ilyasova to take charges against bigger wings all of a sudden since you don't have Tony Snell anymore. So you you so. can't see me, but I'm like slightly like headbutting my mic in frustration. <laughs> frustration. <laughs> <laughs> but like he he can't you can't play him on defense in the playoffs. And again, like the whole point of this team is that you are trying to construct a championship roster. And like when you get deep in the playoffs, 
you can't play Ursan Ilyasova. And so in, in his stead, you got to go find somebody that you can play instead of Ursan Ilyasova. Like maybe that's, maybe that's a guy like Kim Birch who we've talked about in the past, right? Like maybe that's a guy like Aaron Baines. Like maybe you see um, Boston trying to shed salary and you're like, Hey, we'll take Aaron Baines. That, that guy'd be great for us instead of Robin Lopez and whatever you, uh, yeah, whatever you uh, add gave Dragon Bender, right? Like there, you know, maybe you, if you're looking for like another big wing or something, maybe you insert yourself into the Conley trade and try and find a way to get like Jay Crowder or something, right? Like, again, like you just, uh, if, if you're trying to win a championship, Ursan just can't be part of your rotation. That's, I, I get that. I, it, they could still move him though. The final year, if he has two years and 14 million and the final year, I think is, yeah, it's fully non-guaranteed. Uh, it's very close to the, the draft. I think the guarantee date is. So, so that's something that they're going to have to consider. Uh, I, also, I was wrong on the George Hill. He has $1.3 million guaranteed in that in that third year. Most of it's oh, non-guaranteed. Out of, out of the 10 mil that he's owed, I guess that's not terrible. It's still, again, I don't know. I will say that even two years and let's say 18.7 million seemed a little high. Like mid-level yes. money for, for George Hill. Who was giving that to George Hill? Yeah, that, that's less and less than Derek Rose got, right? Uh, I didn't like that contract either. So that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my next thing is just R.I.P. the dream of seeing more of Giannis at center, and that's because yeah, they signed Robin Lopez. D.J. Mm-hmm. Wilson seems like somebody they like, and just back to my point, they're like kind of thin on proven wings at this point, where they have wings on the roster, and you know Kyle Korver and Wesley Matthews, but. How, how good are those guys going to be defensively? Wesley Matthews, and you can even say this about Kyle Korver, they both try, but Korver's never been good, and Wesley Matthews is is getting older. They have Sterling Brown. There's just There doesn't seem to be as much freedom to move Atentacubo to the five now if they wanted to, and those combinations were always a little hazy defensively, but they were always something that I liked in theory and thought would eventually pop. You're not hype about moving Giannis back to his natural position of small forward? he's still their power forward at least in the starting lineup (laughs) no he totally is it's just funny to think about like uh a lopez Ilyasova, uh Giannis lineup that look there better not be a low pie low low pay lineup whatever it is double low pie yeah there better not be uh robin and brooke playing at the same time i know bud has said that he's going to and everyone seems to think that robin lopez is going to chuck threes this year that's good that's great I don't want those two seeing the floor together at all. I think it'll be fun when they're already like up by twenty. Okay, that there, I'm I'm with that. But in yeah. real meaningful minutes, I don't want to see absolutely it. not. Yes. What's your last thing for them? Uh, my last thing for them is something that uh kind of gets overlooked, but I think is like actually like legitimately hurting them now. That draft run where they went uh, Rashad Vaughn, Thonmaker, DJ Wilson is kind of killing them right now. <laughs> Like, no, imagine, like, legitimately imagine if they had Daylon Wright instead of Rashad Vaughn, Ooh. right? Like, he that would legitimately help them, right? Yeah. Imag- imagine if they had uh, DeMontis Sabonis and four second-round picks instead of Thon Maker. That would also legitimately help them. So, like, yes, they have built a championship team around Giannis, but uh, their striking out in the draft has had meaningful, like, ripples that is currently, like, hurting them. And I think that's something that when, you know, if they win a championship, the story's going to be they won a championship. If they don't win a championship, 
and uh, Yana stays. It's going to be part of the story about like why the, this tragic figure figure of the, uh, the NBA, like was never able to get over the hump if they don't win a championship and, and Giannis leaves like that and not being able the draft history and not being able to pay and not being willing to pay the tax from Malcolm Brogdon is going to be like on their obituary. Yeah. A hundred percent there. Yeah. They, and look in retrospect with the way that they valued some of these rapid, they gave up four second rounders for the Nikola Miritich rental, which in hindsight didn't end up being the greatest value. It seemed good at the time, but you end up not keeping him. The NBA didn't even keep him to be. Yeah. Fair. Like if, if, and you know, if they could have kept Miritich, like maybe that works out a lot better, but they didn't. And like that would have put them into the tax as well. So yeah. <laughs> uh, my last thing for them, Brooke Lopez. Is he going to be as good as he was last year? Because I like this. They they didn't give him like no money. Four years and fifty two million dollars isn't no money. It so you need him now to continue shooting threes at the level that he did. And I would argue they need him to be just as good, if not better, as he was protecting the rim. And he's always been a little underrated defensively. He's just the way he can uh, use his length to corral guys and get so low to the ground uh, and he's so slow moving, but it's almost this like Kyle Anderson effect in miniature. Uh, he's bigger than Kyle Anderson, but it's just not on the same scale. Right. They need him to be <laughs> like, he needs to be the guy that can still hang on switches in the half court. It can't be played off the floor. And his three point clip needs to continue translating. And it's, you know, it wasn't like he shot a zillion percent from three last year either. It was 36.5% around league average. It was just because it came on, such volume 6.3 attempts per game they need him to do that again and i don't know that we can say from top to bottom his performance is is a given i love his nickname splash mountain he's always ever since kenny atkinson in brooklyn has encouraged him to shoot he's always kind of been that threat but he's 31 now and i don't think the bucks are as good defensively on the perimeter as they were last year which seems like an overreaction to just losing uh, malcolm brogdon but you also lost tony snell as well he didn't seem to be one of coach bud's favorites it's just it's all kind of it adds up and so they really need him to be that good again this season for for them to be the same team to have the same ceiling to be that borderline title favorite that they were yeah and for for lopez not only was it the volume it was the distance right it was that he was shooting 28 footers and you know uh stretching defenses out to their breaking point to give Giannis more driving lanes but unlike um, Ryan Anderson, he could play defense and didn't get played off the floor, so it really worked it, out. Yeah, but the other thing was, uh, Brooke Lopez did not look good in FIBA. Like, no just, one looked good. The, the USA in general didn't look good in FIBA. Which is, you know, which is a fair, uh, you know, counter to the point I'm about to make. But like, Brooke Lopez is 31 years old and just exited a contract year. Like, it, it's eminently possible he never plays that well again in his career. It just is. And so like it isn't that is an excellent point to raise about like how how necessary the last year version of Brooke Lopez is to the continued success of the Milwaukee Bucks. Talk about a salary turnaround. Like he goes from being paid like an all star <laughs> to having to accept right. the biannual from the Lakers that one year. And then yeah. and then um or no, he was he working on the biannual with the Bucks, excuse me, because he was in a contract year with the Lakers and they decided that they didn't need to keep him, apparently. Yeah, so you're in that contract here at the Lakers, 22.6. Take the biannual from Milwaukee at 3.4. And then now you're back up to just 12.1. Just a just a wild fluctuation of, of money there. Center, center evaluations are difficult. 
What is your absolute biggest question for this team? Uh, where's White Dante? I, I don't know. Where is he? I don't know. But like, that's a guy who who ostensibly has the skill set, size, and um, you know, talent that they're looking for on the wing. Maybe he answers a lot of your wing questions. If he's any good, like he answers some of your he he uh, helps shore up a lot of the stuff that you lost with when Brogdon lost. Uh, left and so you know if if white dante i'm just gonna keep calling white dante because that's a great nickname uh shout out his to actual, Bomani Jones. his actual nickname is the big ragu which is also fantastic so that's, he's got two oh, ones. that's great uh was it the michael jordan of delaware oh god <laughs> yeah so but no uh, it's he has a great a bunch of fun nicknames and it's fun to talk about him but if he's good and they've selected him with a first round pick so they need him to be good but if if he's good and effective and can play uh, this season, he should help paper over a lot of what they lost from uh, Malcolm Brogdon. And so what kind of impact he has is really uh, an open question. Yeah, maybe all that time he spent um, with the Wisconsin Herd last year, maybe that that's what they were kind of hoping, that he would just be ready in his sophomore year. He's go- I'm assuming he's going to at least get some chance to have actual minutes because, again, their wing rotation is so they, – they have them. It's just not – their wing rotation cannot be considered set. <laughs> their wings are present. Here's my evaluation of the Milwaukee Bucks wing rotation outside of Giannis and Chris Middleton. They have they have them. Yes. Um, I think I would probably just agree with you there. It's – you can't have a question – I'm not going to be, is Giannis Tentacubo going to request a trade because it's not happening. Like – There'll be we'll have the com- there'll be conversations about it. He'll be asked whoa, whoa, whoa! It. Request a trade? It's I don't think just, we're going. Everyone's I don't think gonna, we got that far. If they're off to a slow start, I think people are gonna, the vultures are going to be circling, as as Woj would put it. So I'm just saying, I don't think that that's an. I don't think Giannis Tentacupo is an actual question yet. Is basically uh, what my main point would be here. It's the, gotcha. really how much do they miss Malcolm Brogdon? It's just going to end up being huge. And I think the Brook Lopez stuff we just talked about as well also really collectively ties into that. Or maybe it's just a, are any of their off-season acquisitions going to hit in a big way? Is, you know, how much does Kyle Korver have left? What is Wesley Matthews going to look like? He didn't look great in Indiana last year. There are They feel like they have a lot of uncertainty for a team that just won 60 games. No, absolutely. Will they grade out higher on offense or defense? Yes. Okay, I like it. <laughs> you don't think they regressed in either area? Last season, they were, I think, the only team that was top five in both. I'll have to double check that really quick. Uh, that sounds about right. I think they were, they were what, first in offense and like fourth or so in defense? That sounds about right. But uh, honestly, the for all the questions we have about this team, those questions just really only apply in a playoff setting. Um, as long as you have space around Giannis and Giannis is as good or better which is a terrifying thought uh as good or better uh if than he was last year they're going to be really 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 good in the regular season yeah I mostly agree I think we're gonna see they were by the way this is cleaning the glass so it filters out garbage time uh third in offensive efficiency and they were second in defensive efficiency behind Utah I think there's going to so, be... So yes is the correct answer. <laughs> yes yes is the correct answer if you don't believe there's going to be a drop-off, and I feel like there's going to be a defensive drop-off. There are questions to me, secondary questions on the wings, and I, I think they're going to feel it. I also benefit from, they can't really go any higher, so the only the only place to go is down at that point. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. You don't, you don't feel like Giannis will 
you don't feel like Giannis will elevate his game uh, defensively. Like I, he has the he he's an impact defensive player, but I think his defense is more reputation than uh, an application at this point. And so I think I think honestly, like that's the that's the next step for Giannis. Like maintain this level of offense and efficiency, and be like an even more terrifying defensive uh, player. Oh, and, like that's. All. That's all he has that, to do. That's, that's it. He might, I mean, he, he won the MVP at 24. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> he might be a sneaky defensive player of the year pick this year if you believe in Milwaukee's defense, which I do not, at least not to the level that it would require him to, to win that award. Uh, breakout candidate for this roster, and why don't they have one? <laughs> My breakout candidate is DJ Wilson, and let go of the blanket, but play DJ Wilson. You're going to need that guy in the playoffs. Stop playing Ursan Ilyasova. He's not that good. Give DJ Wilson some minutes. He was good for like a 20-game stretch. Yeah, yeah. it's just now you have Robin Lopez, so you want to play him over Rolo? I want to play him. Uh, oh, yeah, you probably do want to play him over Rolo. And I, don't, I, like, wouldn't, I know you don't want you, to play Ilyasova, if you, play him at, you want to play him, play him at the four? At four if, yeah, if you play him at four, that's setting him up to fail. Yeah, okay, you, good. Or even if you do like a... Oh God! If you do like a Wilson Bender front court or something like that, heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was. I don't know if you saw it. Someone posted on Twitter. Uh, they were emailed like a very impassioned response about how important the addition of Dragon Bender was going to end up being to Milwaukee. It was. I, I wish I remember who tweeted it out, but it was one of the funniest things I ever read. They were talking about Bender having a breakout year. How he's he's a former top five pick. He was finally going to be able to come into his own. In Milwaukee, it was just one of the most random and hysterical things I've seen. I had people try and convince me that the Pistons should tank and Dragon Bender should be the centerpiece of a Blake Griffin trade, and like, I people are lucky I like can't send like fits over the internet. <laughs> that is that was like a real opinion. That was a real life when they like first traded for him. Uh, when they first traded for Blake and they like weren't going to make the playoffs, it was like, "Well, Stan Van Gundy failed and he's going to get fired, so you should just like break down the team." I remember when that trade happened. That was one of those out of nowhere trades. It felt like it was it was great, and people tend to get too caught up in salaries. And I'll throw myself into there sometimes, but it was never a matter of is is Blake Griffin trash. He was when he's healthy, he's a superstar. It's just that was a lot of money to commit. But it's amazing how a contract can really color perception of of a player from you know everybody i think even just full-time analysts get caught up in that too much as well also tobias harris is making max money now and which guy would you rather pay max money yeah that's especially after the way tobias played in the playoffs as sort of this ancillary piece and he's not exactly going to be much more this season definitely he's he's younger which helps but i'm with you i'd rather pay blake griffin's contract a a large when the Blake Griffin trade first occurred, a large concern of mine was uh, a large relief of mine was like not having to give Tobias Harris his next contract because I knew it was going to be large. I didn't know it was going to be that large, but I knew it was going to be large, and I knew he was a guy who was always going to be like a tertiary guy. We there, can we can stop now, yeah. yeah for, j- just for someone who has, it feels like he's much older than he is because of how many teams he's played for, and for someone who he is good, he's a very good offensive player. And he's just been traded now so many times and switched teams. You just don't see that often. No, you don't. My breakout candidate for the Bucks is just going to be Sterling Brown by virtue of default, basically. I, I like you talking about uh, DiVincenzo actually almost made me want to pick him. But just for what the Bucks need, more defense-oriented, I think, from, from their bench, 
that he's just going to be perfect. He's he's strong. I feel like you can get him to defend ones and twos and maybe even some threes. And he just needs to, well, I say just, but if he can hit three-pointers with a semblance of consistency and volume, he's at 35.7% for his career. I don't know that he's necessarily good enough that defenses are actually going to want to have a guy be close to him or they'll you know close out on him. Can he make any any other plays if he needs to attack uh, defenses that have been closing out? The opportunity should be there, though, just based off what I, I think uh, the Bucks rotation is going to need uh, behind their starting lineup. He also provides an element of like toughness just on the wing that the Bucks will that the the that a playoff situation is more conducive to than a consistent like regular season role. He might be one of those players that's just more valuable in the postseason than he is the regular season. Kind of like Andre Godal on cruise control, where Andre yep. Godal is valuable wherever when he's trying, but he's not really going to try in the regular season anymore. Yeah, only like instead of on instead of Andre Godal trying, it's like Sterling Brown being mad. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> uh, strongest year end of the award candidate here. This is a no brainer. Giannis MVP. We can move on. <laughs> oh, really? I thought I was. I was going to pick Sterling Brown for sixth man, but <laughs> Giannis MVP is just so easy. You could maybe you no. Know, you can't even go Coach Bud Coach of the Year. That's just so hard to repeat. Giannis for Defensive Player of the Year, though. I, again, I think is just a sneaky good pick. If you, unlike me, believe in Milwaukee's defense. That that is a sneaky good pick, but it's just easier to be like he'll repeat as MVP. Uh, what's a lineup your dynasty from this team? I'm anxious to see who you're putting around DJ Wilson at small forward. <laughs> you're gonna laugh. Uh, Dante Divincenzo, Chris Middleton, whose name, notably, despite the fact he's making max money, has not come up a lot in this conversation. Uh, Dante Divincenzo, Chris Middleton, Giannis, DJ Wilson, Brooke Lopez. Wait, can you, run, can you run that back one more time? Dante, Chris, Giannis at three, DJ Wilson, Brooke Lopez. Size and shooting. Size and shooting. I like size. Shooting? DJ Wilson and, and are you banking on Giannis there? I'm banking on Giannis being the only non-shooter in that lineup. Wow. Yeah. Though there was video of him making threes, so he's going to be in the three-point contest is what that, that translates to. Like if that if that happens, we can just like shut everything down. But like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, if he imagine him shooting a league average clip from deep, it's just over. Imagine him not even like not even like oh he can hit thirty five percent on wide open corner threes because teams kind of like relax and give him the space to take those. If he can just like occasionally come off a DHO and fire like a pull up three, like that is terrifying. My lineup, I think, is going to be, but I don't think this is the one I have in my notes, Eric Bledsoe, Sterling Brown, Wesley Matthews, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's a lineup we will never see because Giannis will not play the five, but I want it. I want Giannis at the five more so badly. Dan, I like the ideologically consistency between both of us where you insist on playing small lineups and I insist on playing big lineups. That's basically how Andy and I roll on the podcast series. He's always <laughs> suggesting these big lineups, and I'm like, no, you know what? Let's put Derrick Rose at the five. Andy's a big guy, so I, I get he, why he's sympathetic. Yeah, sympathetic or just biased would be the better word for it. <laughs> uh, player most likely to be traded on this roster. This one was really tough for me only because like, they don't have no one fun to trade. Yeah, no, no one really stands out. So I said, I said George Hill. Um, the partially guaranteed third year stood out to me as like just something that might be enticing for a team down the road. Um, but like, yeah, otherwise it's like, 
do you do you want Eric Bledsoe? Maybe. Do you want Ursan Ilyasova's expiring contract or pseudo expiring contract? Like maybe. And then like after that, it's just like uh, it's a bunch of kids and like Robin Lopez, right? Like no no one on this team really makes sense from a trade perspective, which isn't great. This team, it, this looks like the exact team we'll see going into the playoffs, and neither one of us is super high on them. Yeah, uh, I, I want to say Eric Bledsoe, but I just don't think they'll make a move that stark after losing Malcolm Brogdon in the middle of the season. And they'll be very much in town acquisition mode. I don't know who you're trading Eric Bledsoe for. Uh, Mo Dakhil and I floated the idea of them really cobbling together an offer built around Bledsoe and other salary filler for Chris Paul. This was a couple months ago. They won't do that, but that that would be a level of move they'd have to do. I'm inclined to go with Ilya Sova. I feel like there could just, like you said, it's the pseudo-expiring contract, and you could just attach something to him, and now all of a sudden you can take back a player who makes in the eight figures. You know, does Ursan Ilyasova and DJ Wilson get you Jay Crowder? Uh, that salary, I think Jay Crowder actually makes less than Ursan Ilyasova this season, or at least right in line. You could even put together some Andre Godala trades from Milwaukee. I don't know if he wants to play in Milwaukee, but they're certainly a contender, so maybe he'd he'd come around. You'd have to get more salary filler up there, but... You have the Ilyasova at seven million, DJ Wilson at three million. Uh, I guess it does get tough to find someone expendable from there. I don't think you want to give up George Hill in an Iguodala trade, but you know Ilyasova and something for Jay Crowder, whether that something's a player or the picks. And I know Milwaukee doesn't have a ton of picks, and I wouldn't give up a future first for Jay Crowder unless his bird rights are that important to you, knowing that you might be cash strapped without uh, if you resign Atentacumpo. That's the type of move I would expect, and so that's why I just feel like it's Ilyasova. I don't expect anything wholesale from them this year. No, that makes a lot of sense. I will say that fake uh, Chris Paul trade you and Mo put together, and like at that point you're paying the luxury tax, so why not just resign Malcolm Brogdon? We, well, we actually had it. It came out to like it was almost a dollar for dollar swap with the exact package that we ended really? up building. It was in the middle yeah. of the season because I think we were sending uh, free agents out. It was. I can't remember who was in it. I, I wrote it down somewhere. I'll have to go look it up. I think it was Ilyasova, Bledsoe, and could it have been George Hill in there? And that was just the play for Chris huh. Paul. And it came out okay. to just very close. Yeah, if, it, if it's dollar for dollar, I like that a lot better. Uh, I mean, it'd be funny if they had gone into the, the tax, though, for something like that. But they are. They're also seven point. I think they're more than $7 million under the tax right now, or they're more than $5 million under the tax. So still should have kept Brogdon. Anyway. I've got uh, I've got their early bird rights page up and it says they're two mil under the tax uh, two point seven. I need to update. I need to cleanse some of my spreadsheets. Though. Yeah, man, that that non guaranteed contract of Dragon Bender is murdering them. <laughs> yes, he is not in my spreadsheet. Totally forgot about that. Um, where are they going to finish in the East? Second. To Philly, I'm assuming. To Philly, yeah, to Philly. I think Philly. Uh, they already won sixty games. They already they are playing for uh championships championships success i think they'll ease off the gas a little bit in the regular season uh philly didn't even make the conference finals um their regular season success like getting the one seed getting home court throughout the playoffs will be i think more important to philly than it'll be to milwaukee and so milwaukee will finish second i i want i i pretty much agree with everything you said i'm just i always get nervous when we're talking about new formations i'm just wondering if there are too many stylistic changes and new faces in philly to where maybe we're overrating them early on. They should be perfect in the playoffs, but they're up. They also don't seem particularly deep. So how tired are some of these guys going to yeah. be? But when you look on paper, I think everything you said just hits perfectly. 
Yeah, I just remember the the run they had two years ago when uh, Embiid was out prior to the playoffs, and they still ripped off like uh, like a twenty and uh, three run or something insane like that. And it the and it was you know helmed a lot by Ben Simmons, um, and uh, they just have a massive preponderance of talent uh, across that roster to where like if something happens to them, they can still they have enough talent to just pick up and keep going. Uh, I'm I'm I think I'm going to go with you and say two as well against my my impulses, but I don't want to put Philly one just yet. But I think I'm gonna, just because of how I feel, gone over the Bucks wing rotation right now. I'm going to go roll with you and say two. Your bold prediction for this squad. Okay, uh, my bold prediction again. We have not mentioned Chris Middleton's name a lot when we've talked about the Bucks, and there's a reason for that. He's not worth the contract they paid him. And so my bold prediction is that Chris Middleton does not finish that contract in Milwaukee. Is that really that bold, though? I was just thinking people have talked about— They just gave him a max. Well, you're saying finish it in Milwaukee. He has five years on that deal. That's a good point. He doesn't make it to 2021. I tell you, if, if leaves or they end up trading him elsewhere, Golden State should be all over Chris Middleton in a trade, where that's where you start looking at D'Angelo Russell's salary Ooh. filler. I, okay, I do like that. But okay, here's how I see this playing out, right? Mil- Milwaukee makes it to the conference finals again this season, loses to Philadelphia, um, and Giannis like looks around and he says, okay, it's quite clear that we can't eat, we can't make it to the finals with this team. Get me some new guys. And like at that point, like you gotta you you gotta trade Eric Bledsoe and you gotta trade Chris Middleton. And you can and you can work a you can work a D-Lo for Chris Middleton trade. Chris Middleton, even on the max contract that he's overpaid on, has enough value around the league that you can find willing trade partners, essentially. My He does he doesn't make it to twenty twenty one on the books. How about that? That wow. I feel like you're also then predicting that Atentacumbo is in Milwaukee then. I mean, like those that two also... just seem part and part. Who are you trading Chris Middleton for if you still have Giannis? Uh, hmm. Let me think. Actually, Bradley Beal on his extension. That'd be interesting. I'd wonder why the the Wizards would trade for someone older. Bradley, yeah, Bradley demands, Beal. Bradley demands out, and that's the best you can do for him. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to go the other way with my bold prediction and say that Chris Middleton winds up having the best season of his career. Oh, okay. I like that we're in conflict. Sell me. Look, Malcolm Brogdon is gone. And while he didn't have a huge share of the ball handling to begin with, I don't feel like there's going to be a a hell of a lot of trust given to Eric Bledsoe this year on the offensive end. And it's not like relative to most point guards, he doesn't have a ton of responsibility anyway because of what Attentive Kubo does. But now you're in a situation where without Brogdon, I think you need to get – when Giannis isn't on the court, you need to really get to more Chris Middleton and subs lineups or just Chris Middleton and all these non-Giannis player lineups than you were really able to see last season. And that will inflate his stats. And then he just seems like someone, he could have had a better uh, run at times during the postseason. Everyone's kind of down on his contract. It just feels like they're going to need him to do more. And he's going to do it. This contract isn't one that's going to age well, but when you just look at how old he is now, you can still say with reasonable confidence that his best basketball is in front of him. And I still just feel like he's one of the more underrated players in in the NBA in the sense that people are reluctant to call him an actual 
co-pilot and he's not a conventional number number two but i do think he is a top 30 player in the nba this year okay after your explanation i don't actually think our takes are in conflict i do think chris middleton is a supremely valuable regular season player uh however i think that you know similar to a guy like uh, tobias harris who it, it like it just turns out he's a better uh, tertiary option in the playoffs. It, the the defenses get tighter. His uh, his ability to his, the shots that he creates, uh, the shots that Chris Middleton like creates, the, those uh, those really tough like twenty two foot looks out of uh, out of the post, like those those shots get more difficult as the defenses get higher quality. Um, like ultimately, I just uh, and ultimately like. Play the lack of playoff success is what's going to drive Chris Middleton uh, being traded away from the Bucks, and so I don't think our points are actually in conflict. I guess I'm more. I would have more faith in him leading into the postseason, and would be where we kind of diverge. I just keep coming back to, and maybe that's not fair because it was a seven game sample against, like, where they weren't even really the Boston Celtics at that point. But he was just absurd in that 2017, 2018. Um, series against Boston that they that they ultimately lost I get it uh, but I something he was hitting a lot of those tough shots then and it wasn't like Boston, well, I mean he was he was pretty good in the Boston series last year right it was just he that, wasn't like, even, everybody he, sh- he shot the three ball pretty well throughout the playoffs last year but your your point about he's not that you know that that score to go up against those tight defenses he haven't really been he hasn't been that guy against playoff level defenses consistently or has never really seemed like that guy yeah I think this will be the year that he gets there and comes close to it. That's just that's, that's probably just out of blind faith. I have no reasoning. That's total. That's totally fair. Philly fans are thinking the same thing about Tobias Harris, and both <laughs> both both of those dudes are paid like they're going to perform in the playoffs, and both of them have struggled in the playoffs. Um, it's not going to help Chris Middleton if Eric Bledsoe's laying bricks again, though, and defenses don't have to worry about him. Touche. Um, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and spending, you know, in this two part central division preview way too much time with me. Uh, you were very generous with your time. Uh, I hope you will come back because I'm sure I'll pester you in the future. Congratulations on joining blue wire. Everyone needs to check out his podcast on blue wire. It's Pistons versus everyone. He's also an editor for, uh, the Detroit bad boys and he hosts the Detroit bad boys podcast so check him out there as well and be sure to follow him on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e don't be like me follow him quickly you won't regret it great follow on twitter great insight as we've just seen here uh last thank you so much for coming on I, I really appreciated it no thank you dan you have prevented me from uh playing nba 2k for three hours successfully great job oh my god three hours i think your time would have been better <laughs> spent on 2k but thank you for coming on and until next time i leave everybody with a shout out to the one the only kyle anderson sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.